We're just kicking off a new series this morning. So that was like the sermon before the sermon, if you, if you caught that. That's what that was. Uh, but we're kicking off a new series called Stereo, Good News for a Listening World. And I don't know about you, but if you looked at the news, this world could use some good news. Uh, and one of uh, a guy that I read a bit, and maybe some of you do, a guy named... Uh, N.T. Wright, a historian, theologian, talked about news, and I want to talk about news a little bit this morning with you. Uh, His definition of news was this, something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. Something happened. Something has happened. There is an event. Something happened uh, as of which the world is a different place. Place. And just in case you don't know what this is, I just thought I'd bring out an archaic form of news. Like some of you need to know that is a newspaper. Uh, people used to get this delivered to their house. I don't know if you knew that or not. This is how we used to get news. Now nobody gets news this way. It happens on Comedy Central. That is how we get news today or late night TV. Um, but when I look at this summer and I think about news... Uh, we have had, I, I, I don't know, you know, I haven't done an exhaustive research of, n- like, seasons in history, but it seems like there's been an enormous amount of, of national, international news that is shaping our culture and society. I, I mean, I just wrote down a few things that have happened as a result of which the world is a different place, that, that when something happens, everything around changes, the way you think changes, the way you interact changes. I, I mean, one big breaking news this summer was um, Caitlin, the bachelorette, chose Sean. Um, I don't know if you knew that, but that, it actually worked. She whittled it down from 25 guys to one guy, and they're happily ever after for the next three months. Um, big news for me uh, was that Tom Brady is going to have a four-game suspension because of Deflategate. Some of you are excited, but fantasy football, I'm not excited. Um, but there's some really big stuff, though. And, and we get caught up in, in some of the little stuff. There's some really big stuff that have been going on. We, we have the presidential race. We just had the GOP debate this last week, and it almost seems like there's this chaotic zoo frenzy going on there and don't know what to do with that. We had a Supreme Court ruling on Obamacare, Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage. We had the shooting at Emanuel AME Church. As a result, then, something so historic happened where they took down the Confederate flag. And by the way, I lived in Georgia for three years. That was a massive cultural deal, and I believe in a good way. There's racial tensions like never before, not like never before, that's too big of a statement. Uh, There's racial tensions that is so high in our country that we haven't seen in such a long time. And seeing police brutality and shooting and seeing uh, reactions to all of that. Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner, won the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Planned Parenthood, was outed for selling baby organs. And then this last couple of weeks, the world has been enamored with what? Cecil, the lion that was shot and killed by the dentist. Something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. And if I'm honest, this series is birthed out of this, this tension in my soul. 
And I don't know if you felt it or you feel it or anything like that. Uh, This series is birthed out of this tension. As I've sat and I've watched all the news come across, I've wrestled with this. What do I say? Do I say anything? You know, as I look online, especially as a follower of Jesus, and I see what people are posting, and some of it I go like, wow, that's really insightful and intelligent, and others of it, it's very crass and cruel, and, and, and I want to say lacks heart. What's the word for that? Heartless, thank you. Thank you. And I just wonder, what do I say? What don't I say? Where where do you step in? What's helpful to the conversation? What's helpful for us? And what's actually harmful? What's doing more damage than good? Because isn't it true you can say things and maybe they might be right, but the way you say it does more damage than good, and we've seen that. When do you speak out? And when do you be silent? I just had this uh, just uncertainty in my soul. I don't know about you. As I've just watched, uh, it feels like, you know, something's happened as a result of which the world is a different place. And as you watch these things come up and wondering, well, what, what, what do we say? How do we engage as followers of Jesus? And, and to be honest, I wrestled with such uncertainty and so as a result, it, for me, my uh, kind of default is if I don't know what to say, then I say nothing. That's kind of shocking, you realize, uh, because I talk a lot, don't I? <laughs> At least up front. But this uncertainty, I think, for me and maybe for many, has caused followers of Jesus as a result to say nothing. What I found interesting is that tension... The early church actually wrestled with that very tension. What do you say? Where do you engage? What's going on? And, and, and how do we know what to say in the midst of it? How do you have certainty or confidence or clarity to know, know how to engage in some of these difficult issues? And they wrestled with it, and you just think about the early church, and they started off with just a, a small band of, you know, really a minority of people. They were, they were oftentimes um, mis- mistreated. They lost their jobs if they were uh, called a Christian. They were, um, they were called names. In fact, Christian is a derogatory name given to followers of Jesus. We just kind of adopted and said, okay, cool, we'll take it. We'll take it. Christian, thank you very much. They were beaten and killed. They were misrepresented. There's all kinds of rumors that went around about these followers of Jesus, the followers of the way, these Christians, about what they did in their meetings. And they're like, you know what? They're, they're actually atheists. And that was a big deal in that day because it was a polytheistic uh, society. And so it, it was actually um, evil to not believe in God. And so uh, you actually had many, many gods. And they said, no, 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 because you don't declare that Caesar is Lord, you're actually an atheist. And they were told that they were atheists. There some, some rumor went around that they were cannibals because they talked about the Lord's Supper and this whole remembering Christ and his death and the, blood, uh, or the bread representing his body and the cup uh, of wine representing his blood. And said, well, and they had all these rumors spreading wild about who they were. They're mistreated, marginalized. Often, many followers of Jesus were slaves. 
They're social outcasts. Their opinion in the public square was minimized. And they had to wrestle with, in this culture, in this day and age, what do we say? And we wrestle with the same thing today. How do we engage? When, in, when do we speak up and when are we silent? And they came to one fundamental conclusion out of which everything else flowed. They came to one fundamental conclusion about what they must say, what they have to say. They had the clarity that this alone, and then out of this, everything else they did flowed. And this conclusion about what they thought they, what they believed they absolutely must say in a culture that minimized and marginalized, mistreated and abused, and, and, and all those things. They said, even with all that, and even though we're misunderstood, we can't be silent here. And as a result, this marginalized, minimized, mistreated group began to have the greatest impact that's ever been noted. Historians literally can't explain why Christianity survived today. It is what they call technical Christian, or the, uh, historians a mystery. And it was this. What they said we have to be clear on, what we have to say is the gospel. But I'm going to frame it this way, and I'm going to use kind of my words on it. They were, they were clear about the gospel in stereo. See, what, what the first century Christians were clear on wasn't just what they said, because they knew the what was really important. It was also how they went about saying it. It was a both and. They, those two were never taken apart. Those two, the what and the how, were so important. And so as we move forward as a community, uh, we just want to stop and talk about, okay, what is the gospel? What is this that they were compelled at, at the face of losing their job, at, at, at being presented with being uh, marginalized, mistreated in the public square, with being beaten and dragged off to Rome and to be killed? What was it that was so compelling about this gospel that they couldn't keep silence? And this gospel that revolutionized the early world. And then what is, what is the gospel in stereo? Because for the New Testament believer, for the early church, these two were one and the same, the, the what and the how. And so maybe this will help you. What is, we're going to talk about just two things real, for the next few minutes. What is the what <laughs> and what is the how? And talk about this gospel and where we, for those of us who follow Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're out. You're just going to sit back and you get to learn about who we are and where we came from and, and what's most important to us. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is the most foundational, fundamental thing that our call to live out. All right, you ready? If you got your notes, open them up. If, you, if you're not already there, we're going to ask those two questions. What is the gospel? And then what is the gospel in stereo? What is the what? And then what is the how? Uh, and we're going to do a little bit of etymology here with you and, and unpack this word gospel. Uh, and gospel in the Greek is literally the word euangelion. And maybe say that with me. You ready? 
Evangelion. Yeah, very good. You're all Greek scholars now. Very good. Uh, what it literally means is good news. News that makes one happy, information that causes one joy, words that bring a smile, a message that causes the heart to be sweet. Now, this might come as new to you if you've not been around uh, awakening for a while. If you have, this isn't new to you. But uh, at the center or at the core of Christianity for us followers of Jesus isn't good advice. It isn't a moralistic way of doing life or even a religion. It isn't any of those things. At the center and core of Christianity is a historical event. Something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. And so the fundamental proclamation for those who are followers of Jesus isn't good advice on how to make your life better, isn't good advice about how to do this and engage. It is good news, an event Something happened. Now, this word gospel, uh, when it comes into the Hebrew scriptures, and uh, if you don't know, the Hebrew scriptures, which is our Old Testament, uh, was translated into Greek in uh, about 50 years before Jesus' time, and that was often used called the Septuagint. So we see this Greek word in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, euangelion. The word carries power and effect over what it proclaims. That's what this word means. I, you know, um, bad news brings sorrow, and so good Good news causes joy, and, and it has this powerful effect. Uh, uh, the technical term here in the Greek is, is that it's a news of victory. And, you know, in that day, they didn't have newspapers, and they didn't have iPhones, and didn't have all those sort of things. The way you got your news, especially when something monumental happened, uh, especially when your king or whoever's out at war, is when you won, the first thing you did is you took your fast and your best runner and you sent him for a jog and he would declare the euangelion as he went all the way back to the capital city and so he would sprint and he would yell as he sprint the euangelion the euangelion we've won we've won we've won that's the euangelion victory is at hand. As a result, a battle took place, and as a result, we have been victorious. And so the Hebrew, the word carries power and effect. The Greek, it's a technical term for news of victory. And then uh, in the Roman government, it began to shift. This word carried some different nuances, and we see that today, how our words at one point meant something, and over the course of time, begin to be used and have a shift uh, in their meaning. And and this happened because uh, in part of the Roman culture, uh, the Caesar began to think, you know, and there's multiple Caesars, right? That's just a term for, like, king or emperor. It began to um, solidify their kingdom by believing that they were or promoting uh, their own deity, uh, and so this euangelion began to mean in the imperial cult, the Roman uh, worship, that there was this proclamation of a new emperor. He had ascended the throne. In fact, he was called, uh, they would call him the son of God, the savior 
of the world, and a new era of his divine and royal reign has arrived. In fact, one uh, commentator wrote this. In the imperial cult of Rome, the emperor uh, was divine, considered divine by nature. He is known as the savior of the world, appearing on earth in, uh, in a deity form or in human form, as a deity in human form. Every, now listen to this, every citizen within the Roman territory must, this isn't like must, must declare Caesar is Lord. In fact, then what they would do is set up these temples and different outposts throughout the Roman Empire. It was a great way of actually bringing all unity and all allegiance from all these diverse territories, regions and countries into one uniform uh, society and they would have to go worship at the temples all around to the to whatever Caesar was currently reigning and so you have these three pictures of what the Evangelion is and, and they all actually inform the New Testament's understanding of when we talk about this word gospel Evangelion because think about this Paul this is so amazing when we're talking about what are you confident, what, what must you say, what do you have to say, Paul writes to the church in Rome, the center of power, the place where Caesar reigns supreme, the place where he is. And, and, and he writes this. I mean, just think of the context. Think of how scandalous. This is the opening line of his letter to the Roman church. And this is the way he starts out the first chapter. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. See, something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. And I'm not talking about Caesar being Lord or some military victory. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for. Here's why. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Paul says there's something so much bigger and so much greater and so much more important that in the heart of the Roman Empire where it is not only just blasphemous but treason to declare anyone else other than Caesar is Lord, I'm going to move from Caesar is Lord and because an event happened, historical event, I now call Jesus Lord. Not because, man, we're trying to propagate some new religion, because there's a new reality, a new historical reality, and the world is a different place. In fact, when he writes to the Corinthians, he, he, he says it this way, and it's this church in Corinth, and, and he's, he's actually reciting this very old, uh, early Christ, Christian creed, or even a hymn that would be sung in the early church. He says, I pass on to you uh, uh, what was most important. And what has also been passed on to me. And then he begins to explain this event. Because this event, this, this good news, it, it happened in historical space, time. This isn't theory. 
It says, Christ died for our sins. And, and when we use the word, by the way, Christ, it, it's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. It means anointed one. It, it is the long-awaited king that Israel had been waiting that would restore all of Israel back to its rightful place where God would come and inhabit his people and he would be their king and their God. And Israel had been this, what's called a messianic anticipation and they've been waiting and hoping for the Messiah to come. And Paul says something that is so hard hard for a Jewish mind to grasp. Christ has died. No, 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 no. The king is supposed to come and reign. And he says, Christ, this Messiah, this anointed one who came has died, but it was not a purposeless death. He died for our sin, for everything that separated us from God, everything that has broken our relationships with others, anything that we've done that we, that has some way we know is wrong. Says I, Christ came, Jesus came to restore humanity into right relationship with God, to bring peace between our soul and Him, to bring peace to ourselves and those around us. It says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures, now he's talking about the Hebrew scriptures here, has said. And then he says he was buried. And, and by the way, I know I bolded those, but just circle that. That's such an important part. Every major historian, skeptic, or sacred, like all across the board, believed that Jesus was literally buried. That, and, and so we have to deal with there was an empty tomb. It says he was buried and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. Mm. Mm. See, see what's center and what Paul said and what the New Testament church said, what we can't not say is we have to know what the gospel is, the euangelion. No matter where it is, we have to be, get clear on that because it wasn't just, hey, this is my idea or here's some good advice to help you live a better life or, you know, this is a preference. This is kind of my preference and I prefer Jesus and you prefer Muhammad and you prefer this. Well, yeah, great, okay. This isn't just like, you know, I, I kind of like this and you kind of like that. Either a historical event happened or it didn't. If it did not, leave the church. If it did, surrender your life. That's it. That's it. That is the choice laid before us and humanity. Either it's true or it's not. It says Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and then he was raised on the third day. And by the way, a lot of times we think of that as the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. That's actually Jesus' inauguration as the king of the universe, that he is the name above which all other names will bow down. There is no other name in heaven and on earth upon which you'll be saved, and he is now the rightful king reigning. And his kingdom is advancing in each one of us who say, no, 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 I'm not going to bow to whatever Lord you're saying. Money's not Lord. No, 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 no. Hmm. Hmm. Success isn't Lord. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upward mobility. No, no, no. That's not going to be my Lord. You know what? Pluralism and whatever I want to do and kind of you did it. No, no. Jesus is Lord. And in that confession, he reigns as your king. What is the gospel? The gospel is an event 
that happened 2,000 years ago where a rabbi who once was a carpenter hung on a cross, a Roman cross, was then buried after he died in a tomb. And on the third day, and however you want to explain it, and this is the part that is hard for historians, and you just have to examine the evidence and come up with what's the best logical conclusion. On the third day, the tomb was empty. And you figure it out. And his followers said, no, the tomb wasn't just empty, but, but he was seen. By Peter, and then by the 12, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. And, and he, I love this textual mark, most of whom are still alive. Paul's going like, hey, you can go check it out. Go listen. If this is true, if that is true, it confirms and affirms everything Jesus said. And every single one of Jesus' followers died for that truth. His early apostles, all but one, was executed. The other was just exiled. (laughs) That's the what. By the way, church, good news. That's really good news in a world that's hurting when everyone's searching for something to fulfill the deep longing of their soul, when everyone's hoping that someone would just say, you're okay, when the pursuit of our soul is is looking for something to bring peace within us and peace with others and peace with God. And Jesus says, I've come. I've taken care of it and I'm king. If you would trust me, I want to give you new life. That is the gospel, and that is what the New Testament church, that is what the early Christians say. We have to say, even if we're marginalized, minimized, and mistreated. But, it, but it's not just the what, it's the how. And, and I think this is where we've missed it, and this is the reason why many of us are actually silent and we don't speak out is because the how has been so messed up, I think, for us. And, you know, what is the what? Is the gospel? Is this good news? What is the how? And and to unpack the how, I just have a little illustration uh, for us that hopefully will bring some things to light because I I think the the how, it makes everything. It pulls it all together. Uh, And um, VH1 um, listed 100 of the greatest songs of the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. I'm teaching my kids to be experts of the 80s. Um, I I just love, do you know what the number one greatest song, according to VH1, is of the 80s? Anybody? Sorry, what? Someone speak up and don't murmur. I can't understand that. What? Help me out. Born in the USA. USA, Thriller. Staying alive. What? Huh? Madonna like a prayer? Those are all excellent guesses, but you're all wrong. <laughs> I, 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 let me share it with you. I just want to share the song with you real quick. Can you hear that? Oh, hang on. You can't quite hear it fully, so let me, let me get it better for you. Oh, sorry. 
Now you can tell why that is the greatest song of the 80s. Now hang on a second. Let me see, where is this chord? All right, ready for this? Come on. No, come on. Yeah, I want to see some dancing, anybody? All right. I know, that's fun, right? That's fun. By the way, my son, Ryder, I'm really proud of this, so just kind of bragging moment. His favorite artist is Bon Jovi. Eight years old. Like, we listen to the Bon Jovi Pandora radio station. Dad, can I listen to Bon Jovi? I'm like, I'm like yeah. No, he won't. No, he won't. No, 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 no. A silly illustration, but I think it's so apt. The what of the what, it's the gospel, it's this euangelion, it's this good news, the, the what of the how. A, a lot of us, when we're talking about the how of the gospel, we're just playing it to ourselves. In, in fact, the reality is, is that that actually isn't fully accurate, right? Is if we put headphones on, And and then as a result, what everyone else hears is the person who's playing it through a megaphone. And we all know the song in here, so we kind of know how it should sound. And we can walk away maybe singing it maybe better than the way it sounds through a megaphone. But to people who've never heard the greatest song of the 80s, just sounds like noise. And here's what's so true. This is so true. No matter how powerful or beautiful the song, if it's played on the wrong platform, it just sounds like noise. Here's why this is so important. A listening world that's desperately longing for good news, you know, how they're hearing the greatest message the earth has ever heard, this planet has ever known, the greatest message that that all the early believers, the first 300 years of the church was immense, intense persecution. You go to Rome, the catacombs are there because they had to hide in secret and worship and whisper songs to each other in graves. I said, it's that great, it's worth that. And our world hears it through a megaphone. And it just sounds like noise. Here's why it's so important, why we have to get so clear and so certain that that we have to do this, is because if we don't speak up, and if we don't get the, the what and the how right, then a listening, watching world is only, the only conclusion they can make is that is how it sounds, and who wants to listen to that, and who wants to be a part of that? Getting a little fired up. So, the gospel... In stereo is simply this. On the night Jesus is betrayed, he's sitting with his disciples and he's having one last conversation with them. He's taking full advantage of this moment, knowing what's ahead, knowing that that after this moment, his disciples are going to desert him, his disciples are going to doubt him, his disciples, in fact, one's going to just deny him. 
And he wants to impart to them what's most important so that later they'd be able to have these anchor points. And he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Like, well, Jesus, that's, that's it. That's what you wanted to impart on your last final night. Thank you very much. Pretty sure you said that back in Deuteronomy. And uh, pretty sure a lot of people have said that. You know, that's not all that new. He's like, okay, okay. Love one another the way that I loved you. You want to see what's new about this? See, what's amazing is in this, the gospel and stereo, is Jesus doesn't leave it up to the way we would define love, the way our culture defines love. Jesus says, love others the way I have loved. Now he says this, this is so powerful. By this, the world will know you are my disciples if you compose the greatest tweet that's ever been tweeted, if you write the greatest blog that's ever been blogged, if you have a fish on the back of your car, or you wear a cross necklace, or maybe even just have your Bible at your desk, No, no, no. He says, by this, the whole world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the gospel's real clear. It's the greatest news this planet has ever heard. But it's not just the what, it's the how. The gospel in stereo is always on the platform of love and not just any kind of love, a Jesus kind of love. If we don't love the way Jesus loved, then it all falls flat. I want to unpack real quick, uh, because just an exegete of our culture, and I don't have time to, to really do this justice, and so maybe another time we can talk about it. Uh, But one of the reasons why we kind of retreat back is I think our culture's ethic, uh, it just begins to inform the way we behave towards one another. And and our culture's ethic is simply this, it's tolerance. And you hear it all the time. And and, and that is is like the most preeminent high standard for our culture. And, and, And to be honest, that's a really good thing. Tolerance is a really needed thing. In fact, I wrote down the definition of tolerance. It's this willingness to accept feelings, habits, and beliefs that are different from your own. That's Webster. It's, it's the state of agreeing to disagree. Our, our cultures begin to shift the meaning of that word, um, and we got to, you know, like how we're talking about Evangelion, the word was shifted, and it doesn't mean to agree to disagree so much more than just simply to agree with, and there's these big cultural assumptions that we have to agree with, and if you don't agree with these things, you're now intolerant, but that's maybe a talk for another day. But, but still held up in our culture, it may not be lived out the way we want it, but is what we call the golden rule. It's to treat others the way uh, you would want to be treated. It's just this golden rule of, hey, I, you know what? As long, and it kind of works out this way in our culture. As long, as long as you don't mess with me and I don't mess with you, whatever you do is fine, you know? Uh, that's kind of how it really is lived out. But, it, but it's this golden rule of, you know what? Treat others the way you want to be treated, 
And now here's what's problematic with tolerance, and because it's a very good thing, but, but there's something problematic as an ethic, and it's our culture's ethic. And the reason it's problematic as an ethic is because it, it falls short in so many ways. It's helpful as kind of a baseline uh, way down here of what we shouldn't do or how, like the lowest level, lowest common level of how we should treat people. We shouldn't, you know, I mean, we shouldn't murder you. That's good. Okay, I, I, I shouldn't lie about you you great okay these are just kind of the lowest common level things and that and that's very helpful Uh, but every parent knows that tolerance falls short in so many ways because there's a certain point when you have to what yeah not tolerate (laughs) there's certain actions see tolerance the problem with it as an ethic instead of just simply uh one of these uh parts of our, you know, ideas, parts of our um, culture, as an as ethic, it falls short because we have to actually contradict ourselves. It can't be our, our highest form. It's actually our lowest form because at some point, you have to not tolerate somebody. It's to be intolerant. I mean, we're not going to tolerate, at least I'm not, maybe you will, someone who murders people. That's, I'm just going to not tolerate that. And there's certain actions that my kids do that I do not tolerate, you know? I mean, and it's for their well-being and for, actually, your well-being too because they could get a little crazy on that and Jesus says new ethic love see an interesting part is you can have great tolerance for people and love them interesting part about love and the way Jesus defines love is you can love someone just like I love my kids with all my heart and not tolerate some of their actions as well See, Jesus, the way he defined it is love was so radical, so inclusive. He said, love your enemies. And all of a sudden, the bar went from way down here to way up here. See, the how, the gospel and stereo, we've alluded to it, the platinum rule, if you will, is love others the way Jesus loved you. When your life has been so radically transformed by Jesus, you can't help but love others the way Jesus loved you. That is what transforms a culture and a society in the face of being marginalized, minimized, and not sure what to say. So great. You know what? Here's a message. I believe it's the greatest news this planet has ever heard. And you may not like it and you may disagree with it. That's fine. I love you. I love you. And I'm going to live that out. Well, how do you live that out? All right, let's skip down to Romans 5, because this is the picture of it. Paul talking again to the Romans. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, I I could go on and on about this verse, but what I love about it is, is the way Jesus loved us was the timing was good. It wasn't on his time when he wanted to, well, you know what, it just, it's been a long day. No, 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 the right time. When we were powerless, when, when that person couldn't offer you anything, when you had nothing to gain from the engagement or the exchange, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ, the anointed king, said, I'm going to die for the person who's anti-me. I'm going to die for the person who hates me. I'm giving my life for the person who wants nothing to do with me. So you ask how we should engage in all those things I read earlier. And Jesus would say, love so radically. 
in the right moments, in the right time, love them. It's very different than tolerance. Way more powerful. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, when someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, God revealed his love for us in this. While we were sinners, while we were broken, while we were in a place far from God, while we were enemies of God, Christ, the anointed king, died for us. That is the good news. And then that is the call. See, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're out. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to buy into this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't know if you, you get this, but what we read earlier, new command. Commands aren't like uh, optional. <laughs> I don't know. They're not like you know, stop signs, which are optional. Uh, they're, they're more of, anyway, sorry. He said, new command, love one another. And, and see, it says, as I have loved you, so you must and so as we close this morning, yeah, there's two decisions, I think, in this room. One is for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and, and, and you really need to take a stand of going, you know what, I, I've been right where Ryan is. I'm uncertain, I've not, and I am, I, I'm deciding today, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. You're Lord of my life, and so I, I'm going to figure out, I don't even know how it fully looks, but I want to figure out how to live and share the gospel in stereo. And you need to decide that today. You need to go, okay, I'm in. You know what, this isn't, this isn't like nice idea, this isn't good advice, this is the greatest news this planet has ever heard, and I'm going to become a living stereo amplifying the love of God to a hurting world around me. And I'm going to wake up every day and go, God, I want to love others the way you love me. God, I want to love others the way you love me. Jesus, would you help me love my coworker and my spouse the way you love me? And if you give me an opportunity to share the good news, man, I, I'm going to share it with them. And then there's a second decision, I think, in the room, and you're here, possibly, and you've never stepped into a relationship with God, and you didn't know that God loved you so much. And you thought it was just simply a moralistic religion or something along those lines instead of this incredible news that God loved you, God came for you, and longs to be in a relationship with you. And you need to stop today. And your heart has been quickened by what's been said. And that's the Spirit of God working inside you. And you need to step into a relationship with Him today. And, and so I just want to pray. I, I, I want to pray as, as a community. And, and if you're here, and I just would love to know, if you're here and you're in the first camp, and you're going, okay, you know what? I've been kind of on the fence. I've been ambivalent at best. Today's the day where I'm deciding I, I'm, I'm wanting to follow Jesus. I want to live out the gospel. I know him. I'm a follower of him. I want to live out the gospel and stare. Would you, just, would you just raise your hand for me just so I can see that? Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. And then if you're here this morning and you, you've, you've heard the gospel afresh, the good news, and today, you want to start a relationship with the God of the universe. Would you just raise your hand for me too, just so I could maybe pray for you if you're here and you're praying, or maybe online you can just email us.
God, I pray for us as a community. I pray for the hands that just went up to to begin to live out the gospel in stereo. I ask that uh, that you would you would confirm that in them. That you would give them the courage to pray each day, God, may I love those around me the way you've loved me. And you would unleash just an army of people who love others well. And if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, you can just pray this simple prayer after me. God, I know I need help. I long for peace and hope and life. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. I believe that you came back to life, defeating death, to give me a new life. I give you my life. Would you give me a new life in return? God, I pray for those who are starting a new relationship with you. that they'd experience the power of you, your presence and peace. And that we'd be a community that lives out your love to a hurting world. In Jesus' name.